This is every pastor's favorite thing to talk about. It's every preacher's favorite thing to talk about. It's every church leader's favorite thing to talk about. And it's every church goer's favorite thing to listen and hear about. We're going to talk about giving, okay? But I told you three weeks ago we were going to talk about it, and you came, so you're just kind of locked in now. So let's just acknowledge, uh, now you understand why I wanted to sit down, because this is really kind of just family table here, and uh, we kind of operate like family, and we try to be honest, and we try to challenge and encourage, and we try to be open and, and everything, and so we're just going to kind of talk about a really tough, tough subject today, and I was really wrestling with this, and then I heard uh, some teaching from a, a friend of mine named Russ, and it just kind of, kind of was like, oh yeah, it kind of sparked the way I wanted to go with this today, I felt better. But let's just acknowledge the, the elephant in the room when, when you get to church and we, we say, oh, giving. And some of you right now are going, you're not going to look, you're not going to take the glance, but you're thinking about the person beside of you who invited you and you went, dang you. <laughs> some of you are like, oh, crap, here we go. I knew it. Every time I go to church, in fact, I stopped going to church way back because it just seemed like one big money grab, and every, you, know, you never knew what was happening. And, and there's just something about it that really kind of feels heavy. It feels personal, it is. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to get up in your finances today. Uh, God already knows what's in there. I don't need to. Uh, but it's just something that feels kind of icky, so let's just kind of get that out there on the table, okay? And so we're going to do the best we can uh, to kind of talk through this today, and, and again, even though it's a little sensitive, and especially in our culture, you know, it's just like you don't mess with people's money, you don't mess with people's stuff, you don't mess with those kinds of things, and then we read the Bible, and God kind of just messes with our stuff, and so uh, that's where we're going to talk today. So let me just kind of take some things off the table. Can we do that? Here's what this is not today. If you're a guest today, this is not some kind of arm twist. It's not an arm bar that we're going to put you in and make you feel really uncomfortable if you don't. In fact, one of the reasons that we don't pass buckets here, we don't pass baskets, we don't pass trays for you to do that, we don't ever want that moment when that thing is coming down the aisle at you and you're like, man, I'm first time here. I don't know what you guys do with money, but I, now I'm going to be spotlighted. Everybody around me is going to know if I put something in or not. We used to have a person at a church I served before. They would cut a blank piece of paper in the exact size of a check. And every time that bucket would come down, so every week there was a little blank piece of paper that was the exact size of the check, and you know that's what they would drop in because they didn't want anybody around them to be like, oh, I wonder why that person's not giving. Plus, we do a lot of online here, and so there's a lot of people that wouldn't put anything in the bucket. But it's not some kind of arm bar today. It's not this. It's not an indictment of your current giving. So let me just tell you something as kind of one of the leaders, as the lead, lead pastor. I don't even know what you give. I said from day one from, to our lead team, and we have some people on that team that serve as accountants and things like that, and, and they kind of you know, do budgets and they make sure that you know, there's, there's, we're kind of keeping things balanced and whatnot. I told them from day one, I don't ever want to know what anyone gives. If you were to come up to me and go, hey, I think I'm going to up my giving to 100 bucks a week, I'd go, great, because I have no clue what you're giving now. I don't have access to that stuff. I will never have access to that stuff. And so this is not an indictment. Uh, so if you feel like I'm looking at you today, it's just because I'm scanning the crowd. I don't want you to think he knows that I'm not, you know, so just can, can we just take that off the, off the board? Uh, I, I will never know that. Because here's why. Human nature says that when we know that certain people give certain things, it's just our human nature and we fight against this. But we tend to take care of people a little differently when we know that they're big givers. And so in my mind, all of you are big givers, and I'm going to do the best I can to provide pastoral care regardless of that. 
And so this is not an indictment of your current uh, giving. It's not a guilt trip. I don't want you to leave today. I'm, I'm going to give you nothing shaming today. I'm not going to go, you know what? You know, I just, we're not going to do that. It's not a guilt trip today. It's not a shakedown to get in. I'm not going to say, you know what, if you really want to go next level here, if you want the good seats, see, we don't have anybody down here in the good seats, and so we're looking for some people to give enough to get down here in these good seats. Um, it's, not, it's not this shakedown so that you can get in, so that you can be a partner, so that you can feel uh, a part of the club or recognized as part of the club. It's, it's none of those things. And while if you come to, you know, things like open house or, or, or talk to, to leadership about becoming a partner or just really being a partner here, uh, we tell you that it's a goal that we would love for all of you to set. Because, again, you're going to see today that it's a godly thing. It's, it's really a heart thing. But while it's a goal, it's not a requirement that you give to be a part of what's going on here to serve here, to, to be a part of a house group or anything else. And so uh, even if we could, which we can't, we're not going to summon your W-2 and go, okay, well, here's what we think you should be giving per year. It is none of those things. And while it's an expectation that we kind of have on those of us who are following Jesus, it's not in any way a shakedown so that you can feel in we say this a lot, too, that, you know, we're trying to create an environment, a team here, a family here, where we are contributors, not consumers. And so, again, that's all about us being able to contribute, not in these boxes, even financially, but contribute to our community, contribute to a broken and hurt world. And so we do that by using a lots of resources. Money is some of that. It's not pushing you to throw money into some churchy black hole where you never know where it goes. Let me tell you, guys, I have been there and done that. I have been in meetings where people would say, hey, we'd like to know what's happening with our, our offerings and contributions, and heard leaders say, don't you worry about it, we've got it. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's your money, so you should worry about it, and you have a right to know those things. We said from day one here at Wellhouses, you know what, we have complete open books. If you got a question, if you want to know why we pay $8 for a ream of paper when you can find it on Amazon for 6 then come and ask that. This is not some theoretical black hole that you just kind of give into and you're like, I don't really know what they do with the money. Uh, well, again, I think it is your business. And we try to practice a very open and honest uh, way of doing that. And so just ask. Come ask me and then I'll direct you to who you need to ask because I don't know. But uh, it's not this just big churchy black hole. You know, I've known people that had like building renovations funds and I'm going, all right, you've been collecting on a building renovation fund for 20 years, and I hadn't seen a doorknob changed. So what's going on here? You know, where's really these things going? So it's not that. And I want to tell you this. It's not about a lack of generosity that's happening here. Guys, we have highlighted over the past four years, and we will continue to highlight these stories. But we also have invited we have invited you into uh, these moments through stories of others, but also through experiences that you can be a part of and that you can be a part of in some tangible ways, like really put your hands on to some really life-giving ways. So let me just give you a few things if you're new here. Again, to, to give you the, 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 a snapshot of our, our DNA, this past year, now I want you to keep in mind something. I want you to keep in mind at the end of the day, we're a church about 200 attendees a week. If you really push the roll out, you could probably get into, you know, I don't know, 250. But, but I say all that to say that we're still relatively a small church. 
And so about 200 a week, about 175, 200 a week is what we kind of average. And when you look at it from those lenses, this is absolutely amazing. So let me just give you a few highlights from this past year. And again, this is uh, being very open and honest about this big black churchy hole that, that, that we kind of throw money into or we think we do sometimes. At Christmas... We gave, around, we gave away around $40,000 and helped over 50 families put, put Christmas under their trees and food on their table. $40,000, guys, 50 families. That means if you do the math, we, we took care of our community a fourth of our size even, $40,000. We've partnered with multiple schools in our community, and we've just, we just kind of give stuff away to our schools. Uh, let me give you an example of that. Every week, you may not even know this happens. Every week, we pack roughly 40 bags of food that goes in backpacks for kids to go home so that they can have meals on the weekend. In those bags, there's roughly three meals a day for, for the weekend. So, that is 5,000 meals that you guys, whether you realize it or not, you guys have sent home with kids who would not have a meal on the weekend if it were not for the generosity of Wellhouse. 5,000 meals over the course of the school year have gone home. We've bought uniforms for teams that can't afford it here at GMS. We have given away books for Gateway Elementary. We've supported field days. We've given for special achievements. We have fed teachers. I love this. I don't know if we have any teachers. I don't think we have any teachers here. Um, But we've fed teachers for no reason other than to say thank you and hang in. If you've spent a day in these hallways, I'm going to tell you, a, a plate of Zaxby's is like, it, it, it just it changes the course of the day. And so we have fed teachers. We have done in-service days. We have done, the list could go on and on what we have done for our schools just this past year. And again, when you put something in that red box or you hit go on your online giving, that's what's happening. Let me give you a few more. We have partnered with organizations like Home Street Home that, that every night is either giving out supplies, they're giving out tents, they're getting people off the streets, they're even working toward finding transitional housing for people. They're working on rehabilitation housing for people, but we've partnered with them. We've partnered with people like Little Pantry that could, that just gives away food and restores the dignity of shopping for your own food to a family who can't afford otherwise. We've helped out at Bellevue Edible Club, which again is a garden that is is growing produce for all sorts of organizations that can feed homeless or other organizations that are just don't have the funding to do such. We've helped out Goodlettsville Help Center, and we've got more that, that Val just told you about coming up on June 1st, and the list could go on and on of things that we have done. We have an outreach team. I don't know if you know this. We have an outreach team that really just kind of budgets, budgets or work, goes with our day-to-day budget on this sort of stuff. Guys, they have fed people. They have clothed people. They have fixed cars. They've paid bills. They've given out bus passes. They've provided temporary shelter. They've bought hotel rooms for more than we can probably even know. We don't even know what they do on a daily. We know what money goes out, but we, we have no clue sometimes what even happens with that. Because, again, we know that whatever money that goes out of that fund is absolutely blessing our community. For somebody who's up against it, who's had a hard week, a hard day, uh, those sorts of things, a hard month, a hard season in their life, and that's what they do. Now, I say all that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of just highlight something that some of you guys don't even know. We do all of that with part-time staff. And the reason I tell you that is not so that you can pat me on the back and go, man, you, we do that to tell you that our staff, every single person that serves on our staff is bivocational and still part-time, meaning that this is not a money grab for staff. 
we're not going to put out a video this week asking you for a G6 airplane so that we can travel around Goodlettsville in one, one motion. This is not about living large for your staff. For four and a half years, your staff has sacrificed, and they have found other ways to make ends meet so that we can be a part of the DNA, so that we can live into this spirit of generosity. And as we grow, we will grow. But this is not about those things. And guys, I could go on and on and on and on. So it's not about a lack of generosity. So what is it about? Why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? Well, because we wanted to do a series called Any Given Sunday, where when you walk in, what is it that you see and hear about any given Sunday? So we walked through baptism, and we talked about because we talk about that a lot. We talked about communion. Some of you didn't really kind of understand some of the, the historical background of communion and why we do that. You were okay with it, but you didn't really know. And so there were some questions asked or answered about communion. And, and we talk about giving each week. And so we wanted to just highlight that. So here's some things I want you to keep in mind that this is about. First and foremost, guys, this is about worship. This is about our heart. This is not because God needs anything. It's an indicator of where our heart is. Jesus talks about this on several occasions, but it's just kind of this overlaid theme. Anytime money or giving or resources or generosity is talked about, it always, 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 always goes back to the heart. And that heart is positioned, or it's not positioned, in a posture, in a place of worship. And so what it is is that we learn to trust in these moments. We learn to trust in this, this walk of generosity. And it's an indicator of whether we're growing spiritually. Here's what I mean. Let me sum it up like this. The evidence of spiritual growth is found in how we handle physical things. Let me say it again. That, that, that the evidence of spiritual growth, what's going on kind of inside, one of those evidences, one of those indicators is found in how we handle physical things. It's an indicator of growth. It's an indicator of are we moving? Are we sliding into these places where we begin to trust God? Are we moving in the areas? In fact, Lori and I were talking about it this week. I think it's one of the biggest indicators. Because you think about some of the, of, of the ways that we handle stuff. Now, I get really kind of touchy with my stuff. Like if you come to my house, I can tell you when things get moved. Like when my nephews come to the house, I have this upstairs, it's kind of a memorabilia room, and I can, I can walk up and go, that's been touched. And that's what we do with stuff. We get really protective of it, we get really selfish with it, and again, that's why I tell you it's an indicator of spiritual growth. Can I let these things go? You know what? It's just stuff. It's just possession. It's just these kinds of things. And here's what it says, that God, I'm going to begin to trust you more. I'm going to let go of some things. I'm not going to get all tense. I'm not going to get stressed out. I'm not going to ruin my day, ruin my week with this, this stuff that have, has accumulated either in my bank accounts or in my life. I'm just going to kind of trust. And, and God says this. He says, trust me with a little bit of the physical and see what begins to happen. See what I can do with the return. So here's what it's about also. So it's about worship. It's about our heart. It's about spiritual growth. Again, it's not about all those other things I mentioned. It's about wanting to see us grow in the likeness of Jesus, which we'll get to in a second. But it's an indicator of those growth. It's about living into the call to be wildly generous. And we say that every week, that you know, we are a place that loves to be wildly generous. And so it's about living into that call. It's about being a small part of a greater cause. 
And so here's what happens. We get, uh, get caught up in the thinking that because I don't have a lot, it doesn't matter. Or we get caught up in thinking that because I can't give a lot of time, I can't give a lot of money, I can't give a lot of resource, then you know what? It really won't be noticed, and it really doesn't matter. And so therefore, I just kind of go, you know what? God would really be kind of embarrassed if he knew that all I could do was this. Well, I want to debunk that. Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells a story. And, and it's, it's this, this story, this, this scene is that there is some red boxes. There's give boxes at the temple. And there's Pharisees, there's wealthy people, there's these people that are just stuffing money and they're going, hey, everybody, I'm about to check this check out. Here we go, here we go. Everybody see, can you see it over there? If not, I'll walk it over. Okay, you see that? And they put it in and everybody would cheer and have this big time. And he says there's a widow that comes up. And in her quiet, meek, let me get in and get out before anyone notices, she works her way through this loud, obnoxious, prideful, arrogant mob. And she drops two little coins called mites. And she walks off. And you know that's the highlight of the story that Jesus highlights? Jesus could have talked about all the big giving and oh, look at all the clothing and food and everything that's going to be happening because of your generosity. He doesn't say a single word about those things. He says that the one who gave the most was the widow who dropped two little coins that were, would have been found on the, dust, on the dust of the floor and walked by. No one would have even stopped to pick them up. Pennies. And he says, she outgave everyone. And here's the moral of that story. It's not about amounts. It's about attitude. It's about a matter of the heart. And you say, well, but Jason, you just, do, you know, you just highlighted a dozen ways that we do this, so, so why? Now, here's where we're going to get a little personal. I just have a hunch that we could do more. And when I say we, I'm in that. I have a hunch that we could do more. I'm guessing that our giving capacity is greater than our giving reality. You ever heard of the Parento principle? Anybody ever heard of that? Show of hands. One person? That is awesome. All right, well, let me give you another name for it. Anybody heard of the principle of factor sparsity? Anybody heard of the law of the vital few? All right, here we go. Anybody heard of the 80-20 rule? There we go. It's all fat, fancy names for it. But this was, uh, this was developed in 1896 by a guy named Joseph Juran, and uh, it really can be applied to all sorts of things. He came up with it or began to notice it in connection with land distribution in Italy at that time. And what he figured out was that 80% of the land or approximately 80% of the land was owned by 20% of the people. And so he began to look at this as a kind of a financial and economics guy, and he goes, you know what, this applies in all sorts of things. It, it applies to your physical health, it applies to mental health, it, I mean, all, all sorts of things, where 80% of the results come from 20% of the effort. Now, let me put this out. I think we are higher than that percentage, but I think we are capable of doing more than we do. And I, wanna, I, wanna, I want that list that we talked about, which is larger than I actually gave you, but I want to continue to add to it. I want to add more organizations. I want to add more schools. I want to add more resources to our outreach team who can, again, help the burdens of those things. And so I think we can do more. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning. I want to look at Scripture. 
And then we're going to close the book on it and just kind of let that rest. And if you don't like what it says, you can take that up with God this week and wrestle with him. Uh, and then I want to give you some practical things, and then I want to experiment with us this week. Okay, so here we go. Buckle up. I know I should be gentle and subtle, and, and I have been, but Paul in 2 Corinthians is not going to be. Okay, so just, just know that this is Paul. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's going to talk for really two chapters about the generosity of the church. And so here's what he says in verse 1. I'm going to throw it on the screen. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very sensitive, severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, made a beginning to bring also completion, the act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness and love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. Paul is talking to some people in Corinth, a church plant in Corinth, but he's talking about this other church plant in Macedonia that's helping other church plants. Okay, so let's take scripture like, you know, the, oh, this is the Bible. Let's just, let's just put this in a real life letter form and let's pretend like you got this letter or that we got this letter as a collective body here because we're interested in planting churches or doing some great things in the community. So here's what he's saying. He says, listen, I want you to know about what Macedonia has done. They have blown it out of the water. They have excelled. They have given out of their poverty. They have given more than they were even able to at times. In fact, we kind of had to go back and say, hey, don't do that. You know, like, you know, let's talk about you can't give what you don't have. Let's, and he centers all this up. But he's highlighting the amazing job that the Macedonia church and how they have just lived into the spirit of generosity. And it was, it was feeding people. It was helping people. We see this in Acts. We see that the church was selling everything they had in, in, in order that when they looked around their circles, no one was in need. And so this is what's continuing to spread and go on. And he said, I just want you to know about the amazing things. And here's the big thought of what he says to the, to the kind of the intro to this section on giving with the Corinthian people. He says, it's a spiritual activity. Notice that he does something. He directly ties it to faith and knowledge and grace. He says, you excel in these things. You, you have faith that is amazing. You have knowledge of who God is and what he's trying to do and knowledge of the kingdom. He says, you practice such grace, allowing people to, to be welcome. You, you, you are loving way beyond anything like we've ever seen. So let's tie one more thing. He says, giving is a spiritual activity just like those things. Now, here's where Paul crosses the line. You're gonna make, this, this makes me uncomfortable. It's going to make you uncomfortable. So here's what Paul does. He says, I want you to know about what Macedonia is doing. And then verse 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. Paul says, you see what Macedonia has done? I want to test you, Corinth. 
I want to test the sincerity of your love, your heart, in comparison to others. And we go, now, Paul, I'm going to be honest, dude. That is over the line. You have gotten way too personal. Who are you to compare anything? And he says, let's just run a test. I want to see where your heart is. And I think he does it in full confidence. He says, I already know because you have done it. I've seen you do it. And so what if we began to not so that we can look across the the river at Macedonia and go, oh, yeah, take that. But it was like, you see what great things are happening here. You are even in a better, he, he talks about their poverty. Corinth was not impoverished. He says, you're even in a better place than they are. Imagine what could happen. And so then he gives them a kind of a motivating factor for this. Verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Now, switch gears for just a second. He's not talking about necessarily money. He's talking about attitude. Remember, we, talked, we said it's not about amounts. He's talking about attitude. He's talking about heart. He says, you remember the grace? You remember the heart of Jesus who was rich but became poor for you? He says, what other areas of life can you begin to be motivated by the action of Jesus? How is it that you can continue, again, not to focus on the amount, not even money, but in these other areas of life where we want to practice wild generosity, yes, with our money, but also our time, our skill, our resource, all these things. How can we have the same attitude in remembrance of that which Jesus has done? You remember the same grace that he did? See, our generosity, he says, is not motivated by amounts or accounts. He says, no, it's motivated by Jesus. He says, just get in line and follow the lead of Jesus. And then he goes on to kind of say, hey, I know you can do this. And here is my judgment, verse 10, about what is best for you in the matter. Last year, you were were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. He says, I know your heart's in the right place. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. He says, I know you've been generous. He says, keep doing it. Do it even bigger. Do more. There's even more possibilities, more people we can help, more things we can do. Finish what you've started. Finish strong and do it big. Verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. He says, heart, heart heart. He says it's more important. He says you can't give what you don't have, so stop beating yourself up over amounts. Stop beating yourself up. He says make it a heart thing and watch what begins to flow out of that. Now, I want to switch gears for just a second and go to chapter 9. He's just going to kind of continue these thoughts. And listen to what he says, and then I'm going to kind of close the book on this and make it practical. Starting in verse 6, here's what he says. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I don't want to get into some kind of prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Paul's talking about. Listen to his thoughts. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. He ties it back to the heart. 
He said, I'm not going to go milling around in your accounts, your checkbooks. I'm not going to look at your calendar and say, well, you know, you really did have more time than you presented yourself. He says, no, no. He said, it's a heart thing. He says, you decide that in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. He says, no, listen, if you have to drag yourself to the red box and go, well, God, I just, you know what? Uh, if it wasn't for me being afraid of burning in hell, you wouldn't get this this week. He says, you know what? Just keep that. If it wasn't for me, you know, feeling like I'd be the only person in my family that didn't give, you wouldn't get this. He said, just keep that. He said, I don't even want that. He said, if that's what you're bringing to the table, I don't even want it. He said, God didn't want it. So here's what he says as he continues this. For God loves a cheerful giver. Again, tying it back to the heart. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, not maybe all that you want, but all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, for their righteousness endures forever. Again, it's a snapshot of what is to be done with this money, these things. Now, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. He says, okay, now that I've offended you and you're mad at me, he says, let me tell you the purpose of all this. He says, all this stuff, money, wealth, the purpose is so that you can be generous on every occasion. The key is this, purpose of wealth, according to Paul, is generosity. Some call it a burden of wealth, that the, the more you have, the burden becomes, how much can I begin to do with this? How much good can I do? How can I give away those sorts of things? And if you go back to verse 11, here's what he says. He says, you will be enriched. You will be given whatever little or however much, whatever, however you define that. He says, you will be given so that you can be generous on every occasion. Be ready be willing, desire, have the attitude, the heart to just be generous. And then I love what he does. And we're going to close this out with this. He says, you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people. He says, not only helping people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. So here's what he says. It all flows back to God. Oh, it helps people. But ultimately, when we stuff that backpack full of food, we pray that whoever unzips that. And guess what? They're not going to find a card in there that says, made possible by the generosity of Wellhouse Church. I pray that when they unzip that, or they unzipped it for the very first time, that they said, thank you, God for providing what we don't have and providing 
in a time that we couldn't get. I pray that every time we fix the brakes on a single mom's car that she says, you have no idea what a blessing this is. I pray that every time, and we don't have to tell people, like, you know, we don't even have to say anything. Paul says that generosity, when lived into wildly, will point back to God. Because it's not, it's not normal. And he says there are going to be people that go, why in the world would you do this? And why would you work part-time for four and a half years? Why would you give like you? And we'd say, because we have been richly given to, and all we know to do with it is to give it back, to be generous with it, to help people, to do things that, that you know what, others aren't interested in doing and, and providing moments of hope. See, that's what gets provided in these moments, hope. He says it's all about giving glory and honor and praise to God. And he says it's not just going to come through you doing it. Others will take note of it and they will do it. They will begin to link these things together and go, oh, this is a God thing. God, you are to be glorified. You're to be honored. You're to be praised at the hands of your people's generosity. So there you have it. Straight from God's word. There's the challenge, the expectation, the benefits, the motivation, the results, all those kinds of things. So if you don't like what that says, then uh, spend some time on your knees talking to God about it and see if he gives you some clarity. So no need to write me an email or, or a letter. Just send it straight up. All right. So <laughs> what's this look like in real life? What's this look like for us? And so I think there has to be measurable things. And I want you to keep in mind, again, we're not talking about amounts. We're going to talk about an amount, uh, again, that's presented in Scripture. But we're not going to talk about those things. I just want to get practical. So Russ, one of the things he did was used a really old illustration. And probably some of you have seen this in various, uh, maybe nonprofits, churches, others. You know, there's all kinds of, of, of people that use this. But it's just called a generosity ladder. And um, I think it's perfect. I think it fits everyone. I think it allows everyone to set pace to test, to learn, and to grow. That's what's most important in this is that we grow. And so here's how it works. On rung one, you have first time. Rung two, you have occasional but not consistent. Three, you have intentional. Four, you have faithful or what's called tithing in the Old Testament. And then five, you have extravagant. So here's the question. Um, if you were standing here today, where are you on the ladder? Where would you kind of stand on the ladder? So let's just talk through these practically for just a second. If you're the, if you're, if you're the non-giver, you've never given, Maybe you're skeptical. I don't know what your reasoning is. You know, maybe you're new here. Uh, maybe you just, you, you've been burnt or, you, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Can I just tell you that, that the first step into being the first-time giver is the hardest step to take? Is absolutely the hardest one to take. If you're, if you're wanting to give to a, 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 a nonprofit, a 501, an organization, you, you, that first initial give, there's just a lot of emotion that goes with that. There's a lot of things that go with that. Uh, so, again, maybe you're new here. Uh, maybe you, you, for whatever reason you don't trust and you're looking at this step and you go, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe I'm young. Maybe I'm financially strapped. Maybe I just came through a divorce. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, you haven't. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one step. I want you to take a step, and, and I want you to know this, that it gets easier, but this first step is a key step. And for you, it may just be today, we're going to give a challenge in just a second, but I want you to, to, to just take one step and become a first-time giver 
at some point. And maybe today's not even the day for you. Maybe it's a month from now. Maybe it's a year from now. We want you, again, to have a heart. We want you to have an attitude for these kinds of things. So the second step becomes what? The occasional giver. So guess what? By taking the first step, what did you just become? An occasional giver, right? So now, by default, you're already on the second step. You're already on step two. And I don't know what the reason, but you're not consistent. You're not, you know, maybe you're not here all the time, whatever it is. Then you get into step three, right? So this is the intentional step. Okay, we're we're right here. There's two more steps, by the way. So now we're on the intentional step. So how do I move from the occasional? Okay, I'm, I'm not first time anymore. I'm occasional. How do I move to the intentional and consistent step. Let me tell you the best way to do that. best way to do that is just automate. Automate. We have online giving. You can automate. And again, we're not telling you an amount. Just, just automate. Guys, can, I, can we just be honest? We do this with other things that we're intentional about, don't we? How many of you are intentional about automating your Netflix account? How many of you are intentional about automating the HBO Go account? that you're going to cancel later tonight. <laughs> you ain't got to lie, I know. How many of you automate your car payments? Because you want to be intentional, right? You don't miss that. You don't want somebody pulling up and going, hey, I'm here to get the car, all because you got busy and forgot. It's not that you didn't even have the money, you just forgot. How many automate your house payments? How many automate health insurance? We automate things that we're intentional about, things we don't want to forget about. And so, again, we're not tying an amount to this. We're just saying, hey, Be intentional. And again, you may be down here on the ground, you're not ready for this. But if you say, hey, I'm, I, I give, but I'm just not consistent, maybe, maybe you're just not here every week. Maybe, you know what, you get busy, maybe you overspent last night. Downtown happens, I get it. But for whatever reason, you know, you just find it hard to be consistent. You get here every Sunday, oh, I forgot, you know. And, and, and so, again, you can become that consistent. Then, this where it gets scary. Somebody's covering their eyes. They're like, oh, I can't watch, I can't watch. So then we move into... Faithful. This is a tithing thing. See, tithing is an Old Testament principle. Tithing is that moment where God says, you know what? I want you to begin to live on the 90. I want you to learn. I want you to trust me in such a way. And some of you right now are beginning to sweat. I am. Um, you're beginning to sweat going, I'm, I, I, there's, there's, there's no way. No way I can get to living on the 90, the 10%. You'll get there. You can begin to work toward those kinds of things. And here's what God's saying is, will you trust me enough to live life on the 90? Will you give me first fruits? Will, before you begin to divvy out everything else, will you begin to look at your accounts, your resources, your calendar, and say, how can I begin? I would encourage you this with time. How can you begin to work toward once a month giving about 10% of your waking hours to doing something good, serving in some capacity, giving in some way? I don't know if that helps or not, that light. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I'm, already a little bit, I'm already a little bit woozy. Um, but how do we, we get to that? Well, we begin to work toward that. And then there's one more step. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Here's what it says. Do not stand above this level. You can lose your balance. It's the extravagant, and there's really kind of a principle in that, that I don't want you to lose your balance. And so if you're, if you're standing here today, and again, I already told you, it's not shakedown. 
It's just an encouragement. It's an encouragement from God's word of trust and obedience. And so I don't want you to sit here today and go, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and try to, in one jump, get right here. I just want you to begin to look and say, okay, how can I pace myself and find myself adjusting my heart, adjusting my attitude to lean into this spirit of generosity? And I believe that there are some that fit on this category. They have been blessed so much that you can be extravagant in the way that you do it. And I know that there are people here who do that. And I know there are people who are here that do this. And I know there are people here that are struggling to do this. And I know that there are people who are struggling to even do this. And we want you to pace wherever. And we want you to not just trust God in this, but we want you to trust us in this. That's why we tell you everything's open. That's why we tell you that there's no hidden strings to any of this. There's no gimmicks. It's just us taking practical, measurable steps that's going to help us begin to grow in a journey of generosity that will absolutely benefit, bless this community. So as we land, here's the challenge. I want you to just take one step. I want you to begin to look, and, and, and maybe for you, there's no shame in this. There's no guilt in this. There's no gimmicks. We're not going to come in behind you and kind of follow you to the red box this afternoon. We're not going to watch and see what apps you pull up or if you go online. But just, just take a step. And again, generosity is going to be that indicator. Am I growing in trust? Am I growing in my relationship? Am I growing in my relationship with God? Therefore, I'm beginning to be able to let some things go. And, and will I be able to point people toward giving and giving thanks and glory and praise? So the question is, do we believe this? I mean, will we do this? So I'm going to tell you a real personal story. Again, I don't do this for accolades. I do this in order to let you know who it is that leads. A little over four years ago, Lori and I, we took a front row seat in learning this balance between spiritual growth and physical things. I stepped away from a job that also accompanied a pretty good salary. And so Lori and I are having to redo some budgets. I mean, like smoke coming off the pencil kind of thing. We're like, I don't know how this is going to work. We went from being a two-income household, and like I said, I was carrying the the larger salary at the time, and we're, man, we're just scratching through budgets, and we're, we're not just canceling HBO Go. We're canceling Netflix. We're not seeing concerts. We're not seeing hockey games. We're not, I mean, it's, uh, we're not eating out. I mean, it just, it, there was a little bit of fear, and there was a little bit of panic in all of that. And so while some of us, some looked at me and went, you're crazy, man. This is, this is nuts. I, I didn't feel that way. I felt called, and, and I knew that, However, the budget sheet didn't match up that God would somehow, some way, provide and do what he does in this. But here's one thing we said, Lori and I said. The thing that could not go off our budget sheet was giving. Now, we adjusted the amount down, and it's grown since then, but we adjusted it down. But we just said, it's not an option. It's a non-negotiable. That we cannot, be, we cannot quit, we cannot stop, we cannot cease, even momentarily, even though we think and could have justified, oh, God will understand. We just said we can't. And so we adjusted that amount, and we began to, to just kind of live into that. And here's what happened. Every single time I felt the fear of rushing in. All right, God, I, I, I don't know. Every single time, God delivered and it wasn't always with money. Again, I'm not preaching that, you know what, if you'll do this, then you'll start having magic God checks show up in the mailbox. We never had that happen. 
But we had people that would invite us out to dinner and pick up the tab. Or we had moments where there would be a, a little job opportunity that would come and require little to no time, but yet I would make what I needed to make. Or there was a moment where Lori got an unexpected raise, and we went, okay, we can add back Netflix now. Priorities, people. <laughs> but the thing that stayed constant was giving. Because in the moments where we feared the most, we were not going to let that overcome the spiritual growth of trust that we had established with a God who, at the end of the day, is bigger than we think he is. And what we learned in those moments is that, God, you are indeed bigger than I thought you were. In fact, we're going to do that song again at the end. I don't know if the band knows that or not, but they're going to do it again. Um, He is bigger. And he takes all of our small stuff, even if you're up here, it's still small stuff to God. And he does some pretty amazing and huge things with it. Because it's never about amounts with God. It's about hearts. And his resources are unlimited and not defined by ours. So, let's stop negotiating with God. Let's stop saying, well, but God, you know, if I get in a better spot, just start obeying, living into this obedience. So I want to experiment this with this week, and I want to show you, I believe, what will be an eye-opener for some. It'll just be an encouragement to others. It'll be a normal thing for some of you as well. This last week, I challenged you to do without something small, whether that be, you know, a cup of coffee. I had somebody come in this morning and say, hey, I gave up one pack of cigarettes today to make this happen, handed me a $5 bill. I went, well, cigarettes are actually seven a pack, aren't they? I didn't say that. <laughs> I was so proud. For you, it may have been an afternoon Sonic run. For you, it might have been, you know, lunch out every day. If you're like me, I eat out lunch every day. And I just said, what if we committed to taking one small thing, $2, $3, $5, dollars if you eat out? Uh, you know, I don't know what the amount is for you. What if we pulled all that together and did something really cool just to illustrate what God can do when we bring widow's mites to the table and let's be honest a dollar in our world is a widow's mite and so what happens when we do that and we're going to tell you the story this next week and I think you're really going to be blown away so you don't don't miss next week and so I hope today you, you did without something and you brought that cash with you if you didn't you can you can do it online there's a there's a box on the online that just says I think red bucket or red something or, or small gift or whatever it is. But at the communion tables today, you'll see red buckets. Just put that, put those four quarters in there, put those couple dollar bills in there. And I'm telling you, when we come together with small things, God does life-giving, life-changing things with those small things. And it may be small amounts of time, small amounts of listening ears, small amounts of grace, small amounts of money. But God has a way of working through those things. And so in the prosperity world that we live in, where let's be honest, a lot of us don't even live on 100%. We live on 105 or 110%. God says, just begin to lean in and trust me in this principle and see what happens. 
we have been faithful to that DNA and we're going to continue to be faithful to that DNA. And we're going to continue to journey. We're going to continue to do more. We're going to continue to live into this even bigger. And here's why. Because of these tables. The tables that represent what Paul talks about in verse 9 when he says, do you remember the grace of Jesus Christ? Who for your sake was rich and became poor. And he did that on the cross. He says, I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'm going to give you my life. And so we circle up every week and we remember what Jesus has done. And we remember what he's calling us into. And we remember an empty tomb. We remember that, you know what, Jesus didn't leave it at the cross. He put power, horsepower behind it. I'm walking out of the tomb. 